Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Educator, audio engineer, synth and drum programmer, composer, and fantastic drummer, Dennis Arcano is my guest on the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast today. I've known Dennis for about 20 years. He was one of my regular subs at Tick Tick Boom and Altar Boys, but he later went on to sub at Follies, the 2001 revival, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and is now subbing for Damien Bassman at Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. Dennis is currently the resident music contractor, synth and drum programmer, and house drummer and percussionist for ACT, a contemporary theater. It's an award-winning professional regional theater in Richfield, Connecticut, my home state. But without further ado, this is part one of my conversation with Dennis Arcane. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today has something in common with these people. Phil Collins, Karen Carpenter, Don Henley, Levon Helm, Sheila E., Roger Taylor, Ringo Starr, Peter Chris, and Dave Grohl. What is that that he has in common with all of them? He's a singing multi-instrumentalist and all-around great drummer, great guy, Dennis Arcano. Yeah, that was a great intro. I'll take it. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for being a part of this show. And uh, I have many, many questions to ask. I love your setup there, man. looks great. Thank you. My little home studio where I make the magic happen. Yes. It came in very handy during the pandemic, for sure. (laughs) Uh You're doing a lot of music production? Yeah, did a lot of recording. A lot of of people were asking for for drum tracks for virtual things. Did a couple of... uh, Broadway Cares things, did a Jimmy Awards uh, tracking here. Yeah, so it, it kept me kept me working. Now, I'm, I met you back in 2001, correct? Or was it before that? That's correct. Nope. 2001, 20 years ago, man. Now, and we look you... exactly the same. <laughs> I just have a little you know, fewer hair follicles in my head, but... <laughs> <laughs> Where, how did we actually meet? How, how did you connect with me? Or how did I connect with you? Let's see. I believe I read on Playbill.com that there was this musical Tick, Tick, Boom come into town. And I was a huge rent head already. And it just so happened that uh, Stephen Oremus was musical directing and Matt Beck was playing guitar on the show. So I hit both of them up and said, hey, let this Clayton guy know that you've got this drummer who would be great for subbing on his show because I just want to get into that scene. And, and they both followed up with, which was cool. They both introduced me to you and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> How did you meet Steve and, uh, and Matt? I, I actually bet, met them both at the same place. I met them both at the Candlewood Playhouse in New Fairfield, Connecticut, back in the mid nineties. Uh, it was, that was sort of my first professional gig uh, I was in college. I was only 19 at the time. Uh, and I started playing for this equity theater up here in uh, New Fairfield, Connecticut. And Matt's mother, Dolores, was a French horn player, also was the contractor for the theater. Um, and she had hired me 
Uh, it was like it was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. My dad had found me this really great job, uh, being a telemarketer answer or, or like phone, in, you know, it, doing this. It was horrible. And literally after the first day of this job, I come home to a phone call from from Dolores Beck saying, "We need a drummer for a production of Carousel at the Kenwood Playhouse in New Fairfield, and you were recommended by your college, you know, drum professor David Smith at, at Westcon. Would you like to do it?" And I was like, "Sure." And on that gig, Stephen O'Remus was maybe, I guess he's probably five years older than me. So he's like, you know, early 20s. He was sitting back on, you know, key three, just playing simple string patches, you know. Uh, and then I ended up playing four seasons at that, sh- at that theater, the last four seasons before they closed. So we did, we did four shows a summer. And then Dolores obviously hired her son to come in whenever that we needed a guitar player. So I did, um, uh, what did I play with Matt? Matt played on crazy for you and i'm not remembering what other ones matt did but i also asked matt to play on my senior recital when i uh, when i graduated from westcon so he came in he i have a great youtube video of that out there of matt beck and i back in the 1997 it's hilarious uh but yeah so i met both of them at that theater i also met simon matthews um, sound designer he was our sound engineer there who I believe was your, uh, he was on Alter Boys, your sound designer for that. But he's also like one of the most working, workingest, uh, is that a word, workingest? <laughs> uh, sound engineers in the city. And, and he also was, so those three guys, I always, I always credit Simon, Matt, and Steven with my career, you know, my future career in theater from, from those gigs we did together at the Candlewood Playhouse. Wow. Is, where's where's yeah. Candlewood again? It's in the greater Danbury area. So uh, the actual the, the town itself where the theater was, was New Fairfield, Connecticut, which is about 10 minutes outside of, out of Danbury, right on the Candlewood Lake up there. And it was a great, it was a great equity theater. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of history there. A lot of like, you know, well-known actors and actresses performed roles there. Um, and it was great because for the act, they, they would house them on these like lake houses. So, you know, it was like a summer vacation and getting, you know, getting paid to, to do quality professional theater. Oh, you know who also worked there? Dave Clemens, who is now a big time Broadway casting director, he was the Che in our production of Evita that I played there when I was 20 years old. Um, yeah, a lot of so a lot of like, you know, people who just went on to be the people who are in the Broadway scene now, you know, we all gotta start somewhere. And it was just the fact that we are basically 90 minutes outside of the city doesn't hurt either, you know. So we we can we have that close access back and forth. So yeah. Well, that's where it all began I- for me, man. You and I have something else in common other than the fact that we worked with Steven and Matt and we're drummers and uh, we are both from the state of Connecticut. That is true. Were you born and raised in born, Connecticut? Yep. Born born in Stanford, Connecticut, because that's where my family was originally from, mother and father, both, both from Stanford, uh, but was raised in Norwalk, Connecticut, and now living up here in the greater Danbury area of Connecticut. So I've been a... Connecticut native my entire life. And, you know, I think that's another reason why it was uh, the Broadway thing was so attractive because it was always, you know, right there, you know, from Norwalk, it was a 45 minute train ride. Uh, From here, like I say, it's about a 90 minute, you know, drive into the city. And yeah, so being in Connecticut definitely made it easier to pursue that career. You know, listening to people like, uh, Sean McDaniel and talking about coming from, you know, Texas and all these other states. I'm like, my God, that must've been so, you know, or, or what was it, Matt talking about coming from California? It's like, 
I couldn't imagine like uprooting my whole life to come out and, you know, pursue this thing, but being right here, always being able to sleep in my own bed after a show has always been nice. <laughs> Did your parents bring you to a lot of shows when you were younger? My, so I don't come from a family of musicians like a lot of, a lot of people have, uh, have mentioned, but music was always a huge part of, of my life. Um, my dad was a huge doo-wop fan. He would sing doo-wop throughout the house all the time. My mother loved all the R&B bands. As a matter of fact, I, I, when, she, when she heard there was a musical about the Temptations and she knows that I'm in this scene, she's like, do you know anybody on the, tempt- on the Ain't Two Pound? I got to see that one. Like, I think I know the drummer on that one, but so she was, she, she loved, that was like one of her favorite bands. So yeah, we always had music, but, um, I don't, we never really went to Broadway shows per se, but we definitely went to concerts, performances, you know, there was this always music. My, my grandmother, um, my mother's mother, a huge opera fan, you know, when, when I got older, I would take her into the Met and see shows and, you know, she performances down there. So yeah, and I, we didn't go to too much, but there was always music in our lives in some way, shape or form, which is definitely why I think I, I pursued this career. So what got you into uh, playing drums? So I'm a sort of a late bloomer on, on the drums, drumming, uh, playing. I was in eighth grade. I had a friend who I had known since first grade who lived right around the corner from me, who had been taking drum lessons his whole life. And, you know, every once in a while we'd go down to his basement and he'd show me, you know, all right, do this with your right hand and do this with your left hand and try to do that. And I, I took to it kind of pretty quickly, which was, I was like, Hmm, maybe this is something I have a talent for, you know, I have an ability to do. Um, so God bless my parents in the Christmas, 1989 out of nowhere. I just said, I want a drum set for Christmas. And instead of going like the, let's get you a, a practice pad route or let's get you like, you know, a little toy drum set for, they yeah, like, they, they, they went got you a double bass kit. <laughs> yeah. Right. They got me, actually, they got me this, this Pearl export drum set. That's right here behind me was the, the first one? drum set, the oh. red one, but it wasn't red when they bought it. It was the old school black wrapped with, you know, Chrome hardware. Yep. And a couple of years back, I was just like, you know what? I want a new, I just, I peeled the wrap. I hand painted them myself, got the power coating on the rims. And now it's like, I have a whole new drum set with, you know, 30 something years experiences with me. But uh, yeah, they went like full out and bought me the drums and I'd sit there in the basement for hours, driving them nuts with, you know, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, all the hard rock hair bands of the, the late eighties, just, trying to figure out what they were doing. And that, that's sort of how I got into drumming, you know, just kind of by, by, and then, and so my friend um, asked the band director at, at the middle school at the time, you know, we, we only have one drummer, you know, himself playing in the jazz band. Like, could we have, you know, can we have Dennis like maybe join in? And the very last <clears throat> end of that eighth grade school year, I played on like the graduation concert. And this is an interesting fact. My principal at the time, his name was Leroy Vaughn. He was the father of Mo Vaughn, the Red Sox uh, first baseman, I think he was, back. And he, he guest conducted the first song I ever played, which was uh, Stand By Me, my first live performance <laughs> conducted by Mo Vaughn's father, our principal. So, yeah. Yeah, that's how, I, that's how I got started, you know. Did you see yourself becoming a big rock star? Or were you, did you say, you know what, when I get older, I want to play in musicals? At that time, like, you know, when I first started. Yeah. 1990. Uh, I, did you want to like, 19, you know. I didn't think that being 
me personally, I didn't think that being a musician was a career. Like I, th- I thought it was just something really fun that you do. You know, it didn't take me until when I got into high school and it's like, you know, we're starting to talk about, okay, what are people going to do for college? Where are we going? Where it was like, well, I've played in every musical group in the high school, you know, either as a drummer or sang in the choir or playing timpani in the orchestra. I mean, I, I had done everything where I said, let's, let's go that route. So I, I really had no idea that I'd be, you know, and knock on wood, it's been, you know, 25 years of being a professional musician. I've never had to do any other type of work in my life. Like I've, I've made a career for myself in one way, shape or form as either a musician, a music educator, you know, um, but yeah, no, I, I don't, once I started thinking about becoming a professional musician, it definitely was theater was what I wanted to do. Of course, everyone wants to be a rock star, but I, I, I'm one of those guys who was like, for some reason I'm drawn to this. I had experiences with it young, you know, in high school, I played in the shows in high school because you know, friends of mine were in, in the cast and were like, Hey, come play. You know, we did into the woods and we did anything goes in my you know junior and senior year. So yeah, I just started kind of getting interested in doing the theater thing and it, and it just kind of snowballed from, from high school into college, into my, into the time when we met, which was about, you know, five years after I graduated college or yeah, I graduated 98. So three, three, four years after graduating and then starting that, starting that career. It, yeah. It's been great. So you went to college. It's and a, you, it was a surprise. <laughs> what did you, where'd you go to college and what did you study? So I did my undergrad at Western Connecticut State University uh, in Danbury, Connecticut. I was a music education slash percussion major because at the time of this is, I always love telling this story at the time of filling out my you know college applications at that time, it was very minimal. It was like music ed, music performance, and always being the self, you know, uh, like self doubting person. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't think I'll ever be good enough to be a performer. So I'll go for, I'll go for music education. That 18 year old mentality would, couldn't have been further from the truth because I'm also, I've been a public school educator for, for 24 years now. That's been way harder than having a performance career. <laughs> so, uh, but that I did, I did major at, uh, in, um, music education percussion at Western Connecticut State. And I studied with uh, Dave Smith, who was the principal percussionist for the New Haven Symphony for a very long time. He just retired about two or three years ago. Uh, he was a student of Fred Hinger. So he was the person that sort of took me from one, you know, just being a drummer to being a percussionist, a musician, and, and sort of seeing things outside of just behind the drums. You know, he was that kind of player where, when I, I first saw him play marimba and I was like, dang, you know, he was just four mallets going, you know, I was like, and again, 18 year old mentality thinking, uh, he's good at, you know, he's good at mallets. He can't be good at, you know, timpani or drum set. And then I saw him play timpani and drum set and he killed that too. So I was like, okay, I, I have a lot to learn from this guy. So I owe, I owe a lot of my um, success as a, as a percussionist and, and musician to, to Dave Smith. So uh, yeah, so that's, that was, that was my major. And, and then my master's, uh, in, uh, I went to SUNY purchase about 10 years later, I waited a while, 10 years after, uh, I started my, my master's studies and that I did in studio composition. Um, because in that 10 year span, I, as you mentioned before, I started getting into being more of a multi-instrumentalist playing guitar keys. I actually conducted a show that you played for me, zombie prom. 
I piano conducted a high school production that I got you to come up and play drums on, which was cool. So I, I went back and did a master's in, um, in studio engineering and composition. And that's, you know, where I do a lot of this uh, work here in the home studio now. I often ask people that go to music school why they chose that particular school and not something else like North Texas State or Juilliard or Cleveland Conservatory. I don't even know what <laughs> what's out there other than, you know, the major names. Why uh, Western Connecticut? I know it's close. It's probably cheaper. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. I, I think for me, it was the fact that, again, going back to Dave Smith, he was really good at, at recruiting into his program. Um, and he would he would appear at like the high school jazz band competitions or the jazz or, you know, like the high school marching band competitions, but that was a big part of my, my high school career was, was marching band. Like I was all in on marching band. Like that was my before theater. It was like, you know, but again, never thought there was a way to. So, um, but he, yeah, he would, he would kind of, kind of recruit. And so he came up to me a couple of times and invited me up to, to see things at Westcon. And so I had heard so much about, you know, the fact that it was a small school and you'd get attention paid to, you You know, like I was one of 12 or eight or 12 percussion students at the time, as opposed to one of, you know, a hundred. And so there was, I I definitely always say, you know, to people, my opinion is it doesn't matter where you go. I mean, uh, sure it does. (laughs) There are definitely certain connections that can come for certain places, but it's what you're going to put into it is what you're going to get out to it. And I think I'm living proof because I've been able to have a, a pretty good career in performing, even though that wasn't my major as I wasn't a performance major. Dave Smith was cool enough to let me do the, I, uh, even though I was taking education classes, he still gave me what per, uh, performance majors did as like a, a hourly study a week, you know, kind of the private lesson things. So I guess why I was feeling sort of a double major, but yeah, I mean, I guess Westcon was like, it was close. It was, you know, from Norwalk to Danbury was about, 40, 45 minute commute. Um, I did live on campus just to kind of get that experience. And I'm glad I did. That's where I met my wife. We met in my, our freshman year uh, of, of college at West Con. She was a, a flute major there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't even, to be honest with you, I can't even remember what other schools I, I don't, I didn't apply to too many. Cause again, back then I didn't really know like what my, you know, where my career was going to go or what, what I really wanted to do. It's hard to know what you want to do when you're 18 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you graduated from undergrad and you decided to stay in the area. Did you ever think about moving to New York city? No, the city was always that nice place to visit thing for me. You know, I loved being, I can remember even during college, all of us would jump on the train We'd go and see Les Mis, Miss Saigon, Phantom of the Opera. Like every week, back then when tickets cost like 50 bucks, mm. uh, you know, we would sometimes go a few times, you know, a month. And I loved it. I loved the lights. I loved the energy, even the smell. It was that, that city smell, you know, it was just, but when I, when I think about like, could I live here? Something about it just for me, just for me as a, I just, I, I was always like, I like being out in the burbs having that little peace and quiet, getting away from all the action. You know, like it, it, when I retire someday, like I'm a, I'm a Sedona, Arizona person someday, like just off the grid, you know, beautiful, quiet. So yeah, it's, it's always been nice to have that close access, but to not have to, you know, and I think that's why I've probably, as far as the Broadway scene goes, I've been a sub, you know, I've subbed on several shows. 
it'd be very difficult also with my teaching career to ever get a, you know, a chair, but also, I, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that you're going to call at seven 30 when you're stuck on the train. Cause it's going to take me 90 minutes to get there. So, you know, so th I, I, that's the trade off, you know, I, I had to trade that off, but yeah, I, I never really had a desire to get in and live in the, in the city. You don't necessarily have to live in New York city in order to get a subbing job or even a Broadway chair. Because a lot of people that do have Broadway chairs do not live in New York City. They live in New Jersey, or they live somewhere in Westchester or Rockland County or Connecticut, like the drummer for The Lion King. <laughs> he lives in Connecticut. Or and the conductor for Jagged Little Pill lives in Connecticut, <laughs> right next door to me. He's yeah, a good buddy so of mine. It's not something that you necessarily have to do anymore. Yes, you have to be in the scene and you have to, you know, know people and they have to see your face. And being a sub on a show, you get to meet people and they get to know you and you get to uh network that way. But if you're responsible and you get into the city and you can become a a, a reliable sub, your name will get around and you'll get to do other things, which leads me to 2000, actually 2001. Yeah, because it was 2001. And uh, we connected. Now, was Tick Tick Boom your first show that you subbed on? No. In, in May of 2001, just before I met you, I subbed my first Broadway show, which was the 2001 revival of Stephen Sondheim's Follies. There's been several revivals since then, but this was the 2001 revival starring uh, Treat Williams and Blythe Danner. Um, and that was Billy Miller's drum chair. And going back to my Candlewood days, Simon Matthews was the A1 audio engineer on that, that production and had given my name to Billy. And God bless him, he was trying to get some, you know, Fresh people who had never done anything like that before in and just I, I connected to this when I listened to uh to Bill Lanham. Well, Bill, I, well, I, I got to come back to Bill Lanham too at some point. But when I was listening to Bill's Bill's podcast with you, I had the same experience where did all that work, got in there, played my first you know sub I subbed on Broadway for Billy Miller on Follies, and three weeks later the show closed. Oh. So I didn't. I only got in there one time. I used to joke with Billy that it's because of me that the show closed. See, they, once you had me, they were like, nope, we can't do this anymore. We got to close this show. But yeah, so I had that experience where, you know, back then I was 25 years old. I was just so excited that I, you know, finally got to do this thing that I had always wanted to do. But so, so you were my, you were my second show in the city that I had, that I had subbed on. Now right. I have a question for you though. Was, was Tick, Tick, Boom. I never, I never knew that. Was Tick, Tick, Boom your first, that was your first chair that you, that you had in the city, right? That's correct. Now, had you had subbed any shows before then, though? I had not. I was introduced to the whole Broadway scene through Matt Beck, because we used to play in club date bands together. And he's like, man, I got this. I just heard about this show going to Las Vegas for three months, and it's probably going to go on a tour. Would you be interested? I'm like, sure. I was had nothing. You know, I just met this woman that would eventually be my wife and ex-wife. And, and uh, I decided to go out to Las Vegas and... I really liked getting a steady paycheck and playing the same show every night. And it was fun. I was like, wait a minute. This is kind of cool. Then I went on a tour of the show. I went around the United States and I saw just how beautiful this country really is. 
it's a beautiful country. It's different around different sections, and people think that their world revolves around them and everything's like that. No, there's a whole world. There's a whole different world out there. So I got to travel around the country again, making steady money, playing drums for a living instead of you know. I've, my path was a little different. I had I did I chose to work day jobs and work in corporate America, and I was so glad to eventually get out of that world. But Matt said to me when I was on the tour, I said, would you be interested in coming back to New York to play this 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 off Broadway show called Tick Tick Boom? I had had no idea about Broadway and what it was all about. I just knew I was making money as a musician, which I always wanted to do. I started growing out my hair and grew my dreadlocks long back then, but. When I got back into New York, I remember when I was on the tour, I remember hearing some of the people that were really into Broadway talking about Jonathan Larson and Rent. And you, you don't know about Rent. You don't know, know about this show. I'm like, no, man, just where's the Parliament albums? Can, can we talk about <coughs> funk or rap or something cool? Like, no, just check this out. I'm like, oh, God, really? So in, in any <laughs> event, <laughs> I got back and I started rehearsing with Stephen Oremus. Conrad Adderley and Matt Beck. And I, I may be wrong with this number, but I remember during the, one of the first rehearsals, Stephen Oremus was joking with them because they had done Broadway shows and, and stuff like that. And we were doing an art Broadway show. And yeah, I, maybe you know the, 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 how much we were getting paid, but I just remember Stephen Oremus saying, yeah, you know, we're going to start rehearsing and we're going to rehearse with the cast and we're going to get $525 a week. And I was like, yes, I'm rich. <laughs> Even though right. it wasn't very much money, but I'm like, I'm in New York. I'm making $525 a week. I mean, I'm cool. But back then it wasn't, you know, $525 now is pretty poor. But back then, I guess it was not that bad, but I was just happy making this, this a steady amount of money. But that's how I got connected into the whole Broadway scene. Then I found out, I, I'd like to tell this story too. Maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm going to tell it publicly. Please, I, please I, tell, I, it, tell it. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. No, nah, but I remember they being, want to hear from you too. I was on the uh, in rehearsals. I didn't know who Stephen Sondheim was. I think I might have told you this. <coughs> Stephen Sondheim's voice was in the show because Jonathan Larson idolized Stephen Sondheim, and I remember you know. St- Stephen Sondheim's name kept coming up. And I think I asked Stephen Oremus, I was like, who the hell is Stephen Sondheim? He was like, shh, shh, shh. Don't, don't, don't say that out loud. So I, I was turned on to who he was. I, I, I did some research and later realized that Sweeney Todd is like my favorite musical now of all time. So far. Because <laughs> I just oh, wow. love, the, I love the concept, I love the music. I'm like, I'm starting to become a musical geek now. But I didn't know anything about musicals, but I learned about Jonathan Larson and his influence and Rent and Stephen Sondheim. I'm like, and then this show was tick tick boom. It was way bigger than I thought. Be cool. I was walking down the street with my future ex wife, and people were like looking at us, like, oh my god, who who these people? It was the opening night party, and I mean, I'm sure you remember some of those parties. They were like. They were cool because cool people were around. I'm like, what did I just mm-hmm. walk into? But now I know. Well, because- that, that was a, yeah, yeah. That, that was a unique show because of the Jonathan Larson, you know, legacy. You know, the, the, the fact that Rent was this huge hit, the fact that, you know, the tragic story of his death, you know, like he, he's like theater legend. You know, I, I, 
uh, I just, I'm a huge Arthur Larson fan. So when, when that, when that show came, it's like, this is the show about Jonathan. Like there was, you know, there was all this buzz around it that I don't think a lot of off Broadway shows often have, you know, a lot of times you tell people about an off Broadway show and it's not one of those shows that everyone knows, like, you know, the big, you know, whatever, Hello Dollies and, and Miss Saigon's, of, you know, through the years. No one really knows Off-Broadway, other than the Fantastics, because it's been on Off-Broadway for 50 years, whatever it was. And and it also, another odd thing that it had that I that I loved for subbing for you on it was it had some, like, notoriety because of that. And it brought in people like Molly Ringwald starring in it for a while and Joey McIntyre starring in it for a while. You know, it was like... Yeah, so that, that definitely made that show a very unique, special experience. And then I have to thank you for, for you know, taking some kid you, you had no idea about and subbing the book because two years later, when they went on their first national, I, I think only national tour, you know, Stephen gave me the call and said, do you want to do this show on the road? And I was like, yeah, let me take a leave of absence from my teaching job for six months. And And he also said, I know you play piano a little bit and because it's an off, you know, a small touring production, we, you know, I got to have someone in the band who can also be the assistant musical director, you know, just in case. And, and so I ended up getting that position on the job too. So basically, you know, I played, played piano for the, <clears throat> excuse me, the understudy rehearsals once a week. And, you know, we, I never had to play the show, obviously. Um, uh, but that, and then the best part of that was when the stage managers were calling to get some of my information about, I don't know, two, three weeks before the tour started, you know, it was, it was going to be tough for my, we had just bought our first house, my wife and I, our first condo. And here I was like, bye honey, I'm going away for six months. This is where, and I guess when she was talking to one of the stage managers, um, I guess like, you know, she sounded a little upset about, you know, like, you know, whatever. And, and he, I guess went back and said to whatever producers, I know we're looking for, uh, someone to do the, you know, to do the, um, merchandise selling on the tour you should maybe give the drummer's wife a call because she sounds like she's going to be really lonely without you know and she came on the tour with me she ended up being uh, like you know out in the she was out in the the lobby every show selling the cds and the t-shirts and like it was literally like when i think i've done a lot of really cool thing i've been very very grateful you know a very um fortunate career but when i look back to like that six months on the road See, like you just said, seeing the most I've ever seen of our country in one time, you know, traveling to Dallas, Fort Lauderdale, Michigan, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, all these places we were going to uh, and having my wife with me and getting paid (laughs) while doing it and getting a little extra because I was the musical, you know, musical assistant musical director. Uh, Randy Cohen was was that was Randy Cohen's gig. He was the musical director before he was Randy Cohen, king of Broadway keyboard programming so he and i you know worked on that show together um it was just the, i still look back at the and and the fact that it was like jonathan larson's show like to me when anybody asked the question like you know what was your f- tick tick boom hands down you know e- not and i wouldn't say it's an easy show to play but it's you know ba- a basic rock show there's some there's some you know tricky especially the way you played um no more i could never yeah. play it the way you played it on the kick drum thing so i i, I kind of made my four on the floor version when I, I i played it your way when i subbed for you and i challenged but but when i, I did my four on the floor version <laughs> i listened back to that now i'm like I, I can't believe i did that i mean why did i do that <laughs> but yeah it was a fun is a fun show to play like you said it was it was the it was the Jonathan Larson connection 
The music was great. The story was great. The acting was great. Unfortunately, a lot of people probably don't know this, but you know, we recorded the cast album. And I remember going to a cast album cast album listening party and we were all excited. And I was like, again, my first cast recording, a lot of people haven't done any of them yet, but I was fortunate enough to have that be my first one. And I listened back to it. Sounds pretty good. And, you know, the uh, record release date for Tick, Tick, Boom cast recording, September 11th, 2001. Yeah, not necessarily (laughs) the best date to do that. And that never happened. And everything kind of went downhill after that. And we closed a couple months later. It was a pretty sad and terrible experience as, as it was for everyone involved in that situation. But going back to your first time subbing, you contacted Billy, Mil- Billy Miller from the Miller machine, great uh, device. What did you do to prepare for that particular show? That was actually the show that Billy did his first prototype of the Miller machine on. So I always love when people are talking about the Miller machines, I'm always like, I played on the first one, <laughs> which mm. was super cool. But yeah, so that was an interest. So that's a, that show follies, Stephen Sondheim, as you're mentioning, you know, very, um, very lush music, but also some swing in the original 1970s production. If I remember the story, there was actually two drummers. There was a stage drummer, because they're supposed to be like sort of these, it's, it's all about this, um, a, a theater re- having a, a, you know, it's like a, a Follies having like a, a reunion sort of thing and coming back to their old theater or whatever. So in, in the story, there's a drummer on stage who's supposed to be like the drummer at the, you know, the Follies that's happening in the story. And then of course there's the percussionist down in the, down in the pit playing the drums and playing the percussion, whatever. But for this revival version, as always, space, money, our issues, yada, yada. Billy was the only drummer percussionist on that show. So you not only played the songs that were in the score, the songs that you know, people know from that show, like Broadway Baby or, or, what, or what have you, there were also, you had just like, you know, brush numbers where you were like sort of a you know, nightclub band, whatever kind of a thing, just the piano, bass, and drums played certain songs. Um, and then also, I, I remember vividly, he had not enough room. He was in the pit. So this was in the days when bands were in the pit. And he had a xylophone hung this way on the wall. So instead of playing a flat xylophone this way, we had the xylophone on the right side. You had drum set here, had the xylophone on the wall, which was super challenging. So there was no way that I could practice that kind of thing at home. So, you know, I would set up my, I always, this is always a big thing. I just had a a conversation with someone recently who was trying to learn a, a Broadway book and was sort of like, you know, maybe a little flippant about like, oh yeah, I got, I got this. I'm just going to learn it on my drums. And this person had like, you know, a three piece drum set, but the drum set in the theater is like a five piece. And I'm like, you're, you have to set up the way that you're going to be playing, you know, something, something for, for Damien on Jagged Little Pill, you know, the the height difference and the angle difference. I heard you talking about for SpongeBob, (laughs) you know, that's what I got over here. I'm showing, you know, Jagged Little Pill is coming back up. I've got my snare drum back on that weird angle again to start, you know, getting comfortable with that. But, but so for, for Billy's show, I did the same thing, took pictures, set up my drums as best as I could to be in here. It was, a, it was sort of a simple setup, snare drum, four tom, bass drum, hi-hat, cymbal, ride, timpani on the left, triangle, a couple of toys here and there, wood blocks, whatever. But the xylophone was always a tough one <laughs> on the, on the wall there. But yeah, back, back in those days, I hate to sound like I'm, I don't, I'm not old, but anyway, <laughs> 20 years ago, you know, taking pictures, bringing my, I don't even know what I would have had at the time to record a show. 
uh, you know, probably some handheld cassette player, recorded the show, and then, you know, just sort of eat, sleep, breathe that music for, you know, as much as you can. That one, I do remember spending a lot more time in that space. Like I would, you know, back then it was a lot easier to get into the theaters, you know, on off hours or whatever. It was like pretty much come down anytime between nine o'clock in the morning till whatever before the, you know, people started arriving for that performance. So I would, you know, I would play and play on his setup and get comfortable with it. So it was, it was a lot of work for what ended up being one performance, but it's what you have to do. You have to put in the hours. You have to feel like a lot of your, you know, in podcasts I've already said for subbing, you have to know the show so that you're not really even looking at the music. Yes. I always have me. I always have the music. I'm flipping pages. I'm reading, but I'm also eyes on the monitor, uh, you know, because, and I want to just know what's coming next. I want it to be second nature. So it's just spending hours and hours and hours of whatever time you have, you know, for someone like me, it was always a little bit harder because during all of this, I had a full-time teaching career as well. And I still do today. So it would be a lot of, you know, work from, you know, whatever it was nine to four at my teaching job. Anytime I had a break, put on the headphones, just on a pad, learn some patterns (laughs) from the show, then come home that night in the basement, in the garage, in the studio, wherever, and then, you know, shed it out on the actual setup but yeah, it, 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 has, it has to be a second nature thing to you. You can't be kind of going like, what's on the next page? Oh, yeah, now I, you know, it, it has to be where you know, you know what's coming. Because that's, that's what will, more than people's playing abilities, when I've heard the horror stories that knock on wood, I've never had as a sub. But it's, most drummers are going to, you know, they're, they're not going to get to that stage unless they're a good player. But the ones who don't get called back are often for that reason. They just did not prepare enough or they just thought, yeah, this is a pretty, you know, simple tune, straight rock beat, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll glaze over that one. No, you need to put in, you know, hours on hours on each page of that score. Cause your job is to come in and make sure that the person who's not there, it's not noticed that they're not there. Right. Like, I don't want the cast of tick, tick, boom, knowing that Clayton wasn't there that night. I want them to look back when they go like that to give the bows and go, what? who's that guy? You know, like that, that's the goal. Like that's exactly. the goal. That's one of the things that I had an issue with when I was the drummer for Tick, Tick, Boom. I didn't know really about subbing and what it meant. I would just help people out. That's, you know, I didn't really know you at all. And, you know, I gave you a shot and you knocked it out of the park and people loved you. That's why you were asked back over and over again. But there were times when I would bring people in and they weren't familiar with what was necessary when it came to becoming a sub for a show. And they would try different things and they would approach it in the way that didn't allow them to be asked back because they didn't realize that they had to be a clone of me. So when you go in and sub for another drummer for a show, you basically have to be uh, you have to do exactly what the drummer does. And you can't be, you know, perfect, but you should be within like 98% of the range where you sound like the, that other person. And that, like you said, it, it takes time to basically internalize that by listening over and over again and just practice, practicing along to the recording that you have so that you emulate their sound. You're an odd story that you, you know, were able to start landing theater where theater work in the city without ever having done like the subbing path first, which a lot of people, you know, start that way. So, you know, when you're a, I always, this is my, this is my, um, 
metaphor, being a sub on Broadway or for any, you know, for, for anybody is like being the, you know, the featured actors on Saturday Night Live, because you're working with, when you, when, when you start off as a featured actor on Saturday Night Live, you know, you're working with all the regulars who've been there for, for years. Those are the other musicians in the band. And when you're a Saturday Night Live actor, you have to be really good at impersonating characters, right? A lot of times when, they, when people audition to get on Saturday Night Live, they have to do an original character that they've made up. So like, you know, when Dana Carvey did Church Lady, that was one of his characters, whatever it was. But he also had to be able to do George Bush or whatever. You know, he had to impersonate characters, right? And that's what I always look at drum, like, you know, for the drummers that I've subbed for, for example, I mentioned you, Billy Miller, seven for Damien now. The three of you could not be more different you know, in your styles and in your playing when you're, when you're the main guy on the, on the book, the main chair, you know, my job is to come in and play like the three of you. And I play when I, when it's my own gig different than the three of you guys do. You know what I mean? Like my playing style is not exactly any, you know, anything like either of you, but that's, that's the goal is to, to go, you know, when Clayton plays, you know, eight notes on the hi-hat, Back then, let's say, into, uh, my, for some reason, this is just something that's popping back in my head. I remember maybe it was just, I don't know if it was your playing style or just the fact that you were in this small Jane Street theater and the vibe. You know, every time you were rocking eighth notes, you were very tip of the stick. And I used to be more shaft of the stick. So it was like, well, not for this show. You know, like I'm not going to play in my comfort zone. I've got to go tip of the stick because whether that's how Clayton always plays or that's how he's playing this particular show, it is my job to do my best Clayton Craddock impersonation <clears throat> to, to so that you know the show still flows the way and it's for two reasons it's for the other people in the production it's for the other musicians it's for the actors it's for everyone to feel like they're still whatever but it's also for the audience who there may only be this may be their only time ever seeing that show and it's my responsibility as the sub again it's just one small you know piece of the of the you know gear, moving gears of a production being the drummer but I want to make sure that I'm not breaking the show. You know, I want to make sure that the audience and the people that I'm working with are experiencing the same thing that they're experiencing when you're playing the show every night. Like, so that's that for any of you out there that are thinking about like wanting to be a sub, be confident, but don't be like, it's not your, it's not your chair. You have to play the way the drummer that you're subbing for plays. And if you can't do that, this is maybe I probably wouldn't have taken this advice in my twenties, but I'd, I'd take this advice in my forties. If you can't do that, don't take that gig. Do, like find another one. Like if, if you, if, for example, if Andres happened to call me for Hamilton, I would thank you so much. No way. Cause I cannot play like you. You know what I mean? I'm not saying he ever would, but I'm, I, you know, that I can't play that way. I can't play that way. So, and I know that now. So, you know, that's the first thing subs have to remember is that your, your main goal is to go in there and just lay it down like the person you're you're subbing for. You went from Tick Tick Boom off Broadway to doing the tour. You came back. Did you go back to teaching full time? What was your path after that? So let's see. Yeah, that's 2003. So yep, <clears throat> came back. Uh, did this. Kept the. the, the teach. I've had to say I've been teaching the same general music elementary school job from 1998 till currently i'm still there so just took a leave of absence to do that to do the tour came back um i've always been a very active regional drummer so i've uh in that time but starting from about 1999 um i, I worked at this the candlewood playhouse that we mentioned 
I worked at the Barrington Stage Company for about eight seasons, which is up in Massachusetts, which is a connection to the next Broadway show that I played, which was the, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. We'll come, come back to that in a second. Um, also played at um, the Goodspeed's Norma Terrace Theater. So we had, you know, Goodspeed Opera Houses up here in, um, oh man, I forget the actual town in Connecticut up there on the river there, Connecticut River. But um, they have another theater called the Norma Terrace Theater where they do only new works. Uh, and it was great because those gigs always worked around my teaching schedule. Like I could, you know, again, I sometimes look back and go, how did I do this? But, you know, I'd teach all day, come home, grab a quick bite, drive off to rehearsal for four or five hours, whatever it was, you know, <clears throat> get home 11, 12, one o'clock alarm goes off at six back up to school the next day, you know, but you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how much I could, well, I still do a little bit of that now, but anyway, uh, you know, in my twenties, I had all that energy to do that. And yeah, I, I was lucky. I got, you know, four, four seasons out of the, out of the uh, Kenwood Playhouse, eight seasons out of Barrington. I think I did six or seven years on and off at, at Norma Terrace theater up there. So I was doing a lot of regional things, but again, being that our proximity to the city, that's where I always ran into people who would eventually have something going on in a Broadway show or an off Broadway show. So it always, it was, that's why I, I've heard several of your, your, your guests already say like, take every gig you can. And even if it's the, you know, you think it's like, Oh, why, why am I doing this? Where's my career going? You just never know where someone you're working with is going to end up and how they may, you know, man, I really need a, a drummer to, Oh, maybe I'll call Dennis again. Or maybe I'll call Clayton because we did this thing, you know, it's it seems like it's this impossible career path to take but it really is a small community of people there always are openings for other things but um yeah so so back to your to your the question but yeah so I, I kept teaching kept doing a lot of the regional stuff um here and there and then yeah then around the same time i guess this was 2005 2004 2005 you went on to your next off-Broadway show, Altered Boys, and were, well, you were kind enough to call me back again for another round. And I, I remember subbing for that for most of that entire run for you. And at that same time, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee was up at Barrington Stage Company, where I was the house drummer. Now, up there, it was just a piano show. They just had piano and and the cast, you know, that, that's where the show was developed, was up at this theater in Massachusetts. And the composer, Bill Finn, is the composer of the show uh, Falsettos and A New Brain. We had just done a production of his Falsettos the year before that I was, I uh, drummed on that one. And I'll never forget the first time I met him, he comes in, hi, I'm Bill Finn, I hate drummers. And it was just like, great, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to figure out how to play this show and not make you hate me. But um <laughs> <laughs> but on that show of falsettos that we did up there, uh, Vadim Feichner was the, was the MD, the conductor. And then he took, he took the MD chair for the Broadway production of Spelling Bee. So that's another one of these situations where it, for me, it's almost been, I've never known the drummer of the show I'm subbing for. I've known the conductor. And that can sometimes be even more important than knowing the drummer. Because if the, if, the, if the conductor says to the drummer, like, okay, Clayton, you're playing, you know, tick, tick, boom, and Stephen Ramos says to you, hey, I know, Dennis, we've done three shows together at Candlewood. You're kind of like, for you, that takes a lot of pressure off of you because you already know. Now, I still may, you know, mess up and whatever, but, you know, you know that the conductor is trusting this person already. So that, that panned out for me again. 
where Vadim called me about two months after, you know, the show opened, spelling me on Broadway and said, Hey, you know, the drummer, Glenn Ryan, who's like Bill Finn's go-to guy. Uh, he's played all, like all the, all the cash recordings, falsettos, a new brain. Those are all Glenn Ryan, great percussionist. Um, uh, he needs, he needs some more subs. And I told him about you cause we just worked together last year. Do you want to come learn this thing? I'm like, sure. And it was around the same time I was doing altar boy. So that was the one time in my career where I had, you know, and I, <laughs> I heard you make the same comment to Sean. I can't imagine 11 books at the same time. Cause two, again, I have a different career than a lot of you guys do. So having teaching and two, you know, a Broadway book and an off Broadway book at the same time was keeping me super busy and still having those, uh, you know, regional gigs in between here and there. It was a super busy time around, around then for me, but yeah. So, so that was around that same time I was subbing on both of you and both of your shows kind of, I think they ran pretty much like some, like 2005 through 2008 ish, like that, that same three, four or five year span or whatever it was. Uh, and I was subbing for both of you guys and that, that was keeping me, keeping me pretty busy on, on both of those shows. Who was the drummer on that show? On spelling bee was Glenn Ryan, R H I A N. I think is how his last name is spelled. I don't know if you've crossed paths with him. He only like in the city, he's really only whenever Bill Finn has a show, like he's Bill Finn's trusted guy. So when, when he, you know, and he, and Bill Finn doesn't have a lot, a lot of, I haven't, I don't think since spelling me, he's had another show. I think there was a falsettos revival that they did recently. And I, I think Jay Mack might've been playing that one though. But um, yeah, uh, Glenn Ryan, he, he, I've crossed, I've actually worked with him several times after that. Uh, just symphony gigs like Ridgefield Symphony, Greenwich Symphony here in Connecticut. Cause I've also, <laughs> I guess I should mention that one too. I was also the principal percussionist for the Ridgefield Symphony for 20 years from, to, from 1996 till just recently. Um, I've never really considered myself an orchestral percussionist, but since I had, uh, and my wife is, uh, was, uh, was the uh, principal pic- piccolo player in the orchestra. It was, it was cool for us to have a gig that we could play together. That was local um, and, and again, I always took, I always took things from those experiences and sort of weave them into my, my theater, theater playing. But that's, uh, I've, I've worked with Glenn a couple of times in settings where we've been in the same section. Um, and he was, his, that, <laughs> it's funny. I have, I have a quasi popular, I don't know if it's, well, there's a lot of theater drummers. I'm on one of those musical theater, you know, Facebook pages and a lot of theater drummers, um, have been hitting up my YouTube page cause I have a musical theater playlist. I just, I post like, you know, drum videos from the pits of shows that I play and spelling bee is one of them because on that cast recording, it is super hard to hear any of the stuff that he's doing as in most cast recordings, you just, you just can't hear. And it was sort of a textural choice that that show is mainly played with hot rods. Like, I don't know if it was specifically a volume thing, I remember them saying that that orchestration wanted to sound like it was an incomplete middle school band because the show takes place in a middle school gym. Uh, And so you have this, you have this weird orchestration where it's like the whole band is like piano keyboards, woodwind doubling cello and drums. Like there's no bass, there's no guitar, you know? So it's kind of like a middle school that just had a random kids, you know, that whatever, that was sort of the, the sound they were going for. At least that's a story I've heard. So don't, don't hold me to that. You know, the, orchestrators out there are going to say, no, that's, that's wrong. But, but as far as the drum book went, you know, he played, he played most of the stuff on hot rods, either for textural choices or for volume. Um, but so you could barely hear anything. And so I posted a few videos of just, you know, here's how it was played on Broadway. And the thing about subbing that show, first day I came in and sat in, you know, Glenn Ryan's playing on so the songs where he played, you know, drum set parts. There was a lot of percussion, mallet stuff too, but 
you know, like, okay, I'm, you know, doing the thing that I always do, erasing what's in the book and whiting out and putting in what he's actually playing. And then I'd come back to, and then I'd study and what the better. Then I come back the second time to watch him a week, two later, whatever. He's playing something completely different, like completely different. And so I go, all right, I'm, I'm not going to say anything yet. I'm going to see what happens when I come back my third time, come back the third time. And it's like, okay. So it's like, you know, it's one of those, like, what's that saying? They, they say, like, you know, don't, don't ask for forgiveness, ask for permission. I think as a drum sub, you have to reverse that. You have to ask for permission and not for forgiveness after the fact. So I, yes. t- I took him in and Vadim aside and said, just so, just so I'm cool. It feels like, you know, Glenn is sort of just keeping time and, and Vadim was like, yeah, just, just do your thing. Just do your thing when, when you're covering the show. And I'm like, in a way that takes a little bit of the pressure off, but at the same time, it adds a whole new layer of pressure because you're like, well, they say do your thing, but what if my thing is not exactly what... Right. So I tried to find sort of a mix of what I had from like three different recordings of Glenn on that show. And, you know, I did, I guess that was one show where I did sort of put a little bit... And, and you know, nobody ever complained. I played, you know, some of the show for, for most of the run of the show. So I think it, I think... I was, you know, doing my job correctly. But point being is I, I made these YouTube clips and now I get a lot of people love playing that show. It's a hilarious, same thing. It was funny. Alter Boys and Spelling Bee, just two of the most hilarious shows ever. And I was subbing both of them at the same time. And my biggest fear on subbing those shows was not about the playing, was that I was going to miss a cue because I was too busy, like, laughing, dying laugh. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> laughing from the, from the, the shows are hilarious. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's like subbing that for him and not knowing, you know, if what I was going to do is exactly going to be right. But like, you know, I sort of just mixed together what, what he was doing and it, it seemed to work. Over the <laughs> years, you've learned many, how to play many different instruments and you've conducted shows, correct? Yes. Now, not, not at the professional Broadway level, but some regional high school ringer gigs here and there and things like that. Yeah. Since you've been on the other side of the podium, what is it that you look for in a drummer for a show? Find out the answer in part two of my interview with Dennis Arcano. If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons, an opportunity to watch Clayton play in the pit of his show, and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, 
or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening. 